I'm sure you would agree that uh, when you become a Christian, uh, one of the first things that you're encouraged to do is to get into reading the Bible. Uh, No doubt many of you have a plan and a, a way of doing that. And one of the things that you discover very quickly when you start to read the Bible seriously is that you haven't gone very far before you'll find a story of an encounter. The Bible is full of stories of encounters. Right back to the very early times, there was Moses and his encounter with the Egyptian king Pharaoh in order to get him to agree to let the people go to freedom. There was uh, David and Goliath from our earliest childhood and If we've been to Sunday school, we hear the story of the little guy who beats the big guy. There's the encounter between Daniel and the lions in the den and how Daniel was preserved, kept safe. There's the encounter between Elijah and the prophets, the false prophets of, or the prophets of the false god Baal on Mount Carmel and how God brought the fire down. Sorry, am I not being... Am I all right? An encounter with a microphone. <laughs> I've got one in my pocket. Is that not working? Okay. Hello, good morning. <laughs> okay, that better? Okay. So there are these encounters, but also we find that there are encounters between people and God. And these are really important and really significant. Again, you find the story of Jacob and how when he prayed, he wrestled with God. It says it's like a wrestling match. There's the story of Moses again who encounters God at the burning bush and how there... He gets called to lead the people out of Egypt. You've got the encounter that Isaiah had with God in chapter 6 of his book when he has this great vision of God and, and the glory of God filling the temple. And Isaiah gets the call to serve God and be a prophet. So many encounters. And the one thing you discover is that when people have a real encounter with God, something happens that brings about change and new things. And in the story that we read a few moments ago from Luke chapter 5, it's the story of an encounter that mattered. A crucial encounter. And I want just for a few minutes this morning to share with you something of that encounter And see what it can teach you here in Burlington Baptist this morning. It's more than likely that this wasn't the first meeting that Peter had with Jesus. In his gospel, John tells us that that first encounter took place when his brother Andrew fetched him and brought him and introduced him to Jesus. But this encounter in Luke chapter 5 is undoubtedly the big one, the key one. You know that Simon Peter was a fisherman, and fishing was the main source of 
income for the people who lived around the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. And it was tough. But it was reasonably safe and secure because there was always fish in the sea. And so long as you had a boat and you kept your nets in reasonable condition, you could eke out a living and feed your family. But when Simon Peter met Jesus in this encounter that day, something changed. He was called to a new beginning, a new challenge that would not only change his life, but would change the history of the world. And I want you to look with me at some of the things surrounding this encounter that Peter had with Jesus. And the first is that there's a revelation, a fresh revelation of the greatness of Jesus. Jesus had been using Peter's boat as a kind of platform from which he spoke to the great crowd of people that had gathered on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus has been teaching them. And he's been sharing with them something of this new message that's going to change the world. And Peter, more than likely, was in the boat with Jesus. And maybe he was seeing him and hearing him close up for the first time. Maybe he was there just to steady the boat and keep the anchor down, make sure it didn't drift out from the shore. And after Jesus finishes speaking to the crowd, he says to Peter, go fishing. Go and catch some fish. Now, over the years, I have done a bit of fishing. My dad used to take me trout fishing in the rivers and streams in in Scotland. And I can imagine the scene and the reaction of Peter when Jesus makes this suggestion. Fishermen and women tend to be touchy people. They think they know it all. And the last thing that fishermen ever want is advice or suggestions about how to do it better, especially if they've not been catching anything and the nets or the hooks are empty. And they say that the best time to fish is at night. As Simon said, we've been in Shoeburyness now for uh, for 30 years, and uh, if we're going into South End, we... We usually, almost always, go along the seafront. And at at the Thorpe Bay part of the seafront, there's a little bit that sticks out into the mud or the water when the tide's in. And people fish there. In 30 years of passing that spot, hundreds, maybe even thousands of times, I have never seen anyone catch a fish. And they always look miserable. But they don't see, maybe they they must do, I suppose. I've never seen it. Anyway, nighttime is supposed to be best. And if you don't catch anything at night, you're not going to be likely to catch anything when the sun comes up. And if you've been out all night fishing and you've caught nothing, do you know what? You're going to be in a bad mood the next day, not to mention tired and frustrated. 
And so when Jesus says to Peter, go fishing, I can imagine his reaction and the look on his face. It's the kind of look you would give your wife if she suggested going to Lakeside or Blue Water on the Saturday afternoon before Christmas when Ipswich versus Norwich was on the television. Mind you, thinking about it, maybe Lakeside wouldn't be such a bad idea for you poor folks in Ipswich at the moment. Anyway, I just wonder how long the look on Peter's face lasted. It would be met by a look on Jesus' face that said, just do it. Do you ever wish you could see the face of Jesus? Wonder what it was like. The look of compassion when he saw the crowds. The look of joy when someone he had touched got healed. The look of sorrow when Judas left the upper room to go and betray him. And when Jesus looked at Peter, Peter knew he had to do it. And so he did. And he pushed his boat out and he prepared the nets and he threw them overboard and he waited, expecting them to come up empty. But the rest is history. Because there were more fish in one net than Peter had ever seen, enough to feed the family for weeks on end and then some more. But the thing was, this wasn't just about fish or a record catch. It was an awesome moment when, in a very practical way, Peter saw something of the greatness of Jesus. And we know this because of his reaction. He falls down on his knees at the feet of Jesus. I suppose in my uh, almost a year and a half now of retirement, I've had lots of time to reflect. And it seems to me that there's a real, real need for God's people in our churches today to see again something of the majesty and greatness and awesomeness of Jesus. Do you know, I'm convinced that sometimes our apathy and our half-heartedness and our lack of trust and our weakness and our ineffective arises because we just don't get the greatness of Jesus. And we don't really experience the awesomeness of who Jesus is. I remember as a young Christian that one of the books that most challenged me and helped me to see the wonder of this salvation that I had and the fact that God was calling me to something very special was a little book by a man called J.B. Phillips who was one of the first to do a modern translation of the New Testament into English. And his little book was called your God is too small. 
And I remember reading that book and being so challenged and, and deciding I would never underestimate the greatness of God or the wonder of Jesus. How great is Jesus to you this morning in Burlington Baptist? The second thing that you see kind of follows on from that because it's this, that there's a sense in Peter of inadequacy. And what we see here is that Peter, through this simple miracle, recognizes he's in the presence of someone, of what someone has called God's holy love. And the realization of that causes him to have this overwhelming sense of inadequacy and even sinfulness. How do we know? Did you notice what what it says? It says that he says to Jesus, go away, Jesus. Depart from me is the formal words. But Jesus, go away. But in reality, he desperately wants to know and experience more of Jesus. But he feels this sense of inadequacy. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like telling Jesus to go away? Because you feel you're not worthy even to be in his presence. But then when you really think about it, Jesus going away is the last thing you want. And when you look at the Bible and you look into the Old Testament, you see that Peter is in good company. When God called Moses to lead the people out of Egypt, Moses felt so inadequate that he argued with God, one argument after another, And he said, you know, I can't even speak. God said, I'll provide your brother. But he felt so inadequate. Isaiah, when he had this great vision of God in the temple, said, I am a man of unclean lips. I'm so inadequate. I can't be qualified to do anything for you. Jeremiah said he was too young to be a prophet. Gideon was so scared that he hid from the people that God was calling him to overthrow. And when I first sensed that God was calling me all those years ago to become a preacher and a pastor, I was terrified. But I and Peter and all those others discovered something very important. Listen, inadequacy does not disqualify you from God's service. It is a qualification for it. If you feel adequate for serving God this morning, you're really not. And I wonder this morning if, if God has brought us together because for some of you here in this church, you're sensing God's voice speaking to you in some area, calling you in some way in moving forward into some area of service. Maybe it's a new challenge, maybe a new area of service. Maybe it's to continue something that you're doing at the moment in a fresh way with a fresh enthusiasm, but you feel kind of inadequate. I was absolutely fascinated to learn this morning about this work that's going out there, outside there with the coffee for people who are passing by. Because I remember when I came last year, there was someone who kind of wandered in off that street into the building here, had a coffee at the same time as us, and one of your people then spoke to him. And I believe that it was from that that this new endeavor, this new work began.
but a sense of inadequacy. And if you feel that inadequacy this morning, I want to tell you that's exactly what Jesus is looking for. Peter felt so inadequate. He said, Jesus, go away. But he really wanted him to stay. And in so doing, he was prepared for a new adventure, a new calling, a new life. There's nothing wrong with feeling inadequate this morning. And if God is calling you, if you're, you know your heart is being touched and challenged and you're feeling oh, inadequate, don't worry. Because the third thing you see in this, in this crucial encounter, is a renewed promise. And we have here, listen, one of the most wonderful and fundamental principles of Scripture and of our faith. It's this, that whenever God gives us a challenge, whenever there's a call from God, whenever Jesus meets us and presents us with a call to do something for him, he invariably accompanies the challenge with a promise. What's the greatest challenge that Jesus ever gave? Probably the challenge at the end of Matthew's gospel when he said, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. What a challenge that is. Go into the world, change the world, make disciples of people from every nation. What a challenge. But then what does he say? And I am with you to the end of the age. And to Peter, in this moment, in his inadequacy, Jesus says, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men. Now, when Peter heard that, there would be an echo in his mind about something that Jesus had said to him before. Because Jesus, before this, had said to him, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Now he's saying, Peter, you're going to catch them. Just like you've caught all those fish in the boat. It's a second stage in the journey. And not long after that, in three years' time, Peter would see that promise fulfilled in the most dramatic way imaginable. On the day of Pentecost, he would stand up in front of a huge crowd of people, the same Peter who's at the moment on his knees saying to Jesus, go away, and he will proclaim the resurrection of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, and 3,000 people will come to a new experience of faith in him. The church will be launched into history, and the world will never be the same again. This from Peter, who at the moment is saying, Jesus, go away. And everyone who hears the call of Jesus and responds to it will also receive a similar promise. Who would have believed it? Peter wouldn't have believed it. But it happened. And as I look back, if I can be personal for a moment, on 40 years now in ministry, 
I feel an overwhelming sense of privilege and amazement. To me, it's just the greatest thing imaginable that God might have called me and, and used me to share his word in a way that enabled people to discover Jesus and commit their lives to him. Such a blessing to have been given the privilege of participating in the baptism of hundreds of people and see the look of joy on their faces as they emerge from the water. And even if throughout those years, those 40 years, just one person had come to faith and been saved from the consequences of sin, then I would still feel so privileged. And all those years ago, I would never have imagined it possible as a young man in Glasgow. But God made a promise that's there in his word. And he said, Jim, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in your weakness. And this morning, if you're sensing something of the call of Jesus on your life, I promise you that you will also receive this promise. We never fulfill the call of God on our own. He promises to meet our needs and be our strength. Peter heard Jesus say, Peter, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You're going to catch men. There's one more thing, one last thing in this crucial encounter. And I want you to listen to this because I believe it's going to be appropriate for someone here this morning. Because if before the story ends, it comes right at the very end. You could almost miss it in the midst of the kind of amazing nature of this encounter with all the fish and stuff. Because there is a leaving of the boats. Peter meets Jesus. He sees something of the awesome power and glory and majesty and greatness of Jesus in the miracle that he performs. He feels this sense of inadequacy. And he's saying, Jesus, go away. But then realizing that his inadequacy is a qualification and not a disqualification because Jesus makes a promise. And now he's ready to get up and take a giant step of faith and follow Jesus and begin this new adventure and respond to the call. But there's something he still has to do. Luke tells us that he pulled up his boat onto the shore and left it there. Now, it may be obvious, but we just need to note it as I finish this morning. When Peter really responded to the call of Jesus into this new phase of his life, something had to be left behind. And I wonder this morning if that speaks to someone here in Burlington Baptist Church. That Jesus is challenging you, calling you into something. But there's something that's hindering you that needs to be pulled up onto the shore and left there. The thing is, it could be anything Maybe it's a a wrong relationship. Maybe it's a bad attitude. Maybe it's an unforgiving spirit. Maybe a feeling of bitterness. And these are just getting in the way. It might not even be a bad thing. 
It may just be an ambition or an aspect of your lifestyle or a, or a hobby or a practice that you've got your kind of security in. But it's hindering you from moving on to where God wants you to be. Listen, the boat that Peter had wasn't bad. In fact, it provided him with his living. But it had to be left behind because he couldn't take a boat to Jerusalem. And Pentecost wouldn't have happened unless he had left the boat on the shore. Someone wrote this, Whereas we in the West spend most of our waking hours squeezing the risk out of our lives, Jesus offered risk in platefuls to those young men, including Peter. But this was to be no ordinary adventure. In ways that they could not at that point have imagined, this was to be a world-changing venture of faith in him and in the Holy Spirit's power for the whole of their lives. And I'm really convinced that when we really meet Jesus and respond to whatever he calls us to, it's a little bit like a marriage. There has to be a leaving and then a cleaving to the adventure that he's calling us to. And I wonder this morning, if here on this Sunday morning, here in this church, there's a challenge to someone to see something again of the greatness of Jesus. You feel inadequate, almost wanting to say, Jesus, go away. But hearing again his promise, because every challenge is accompanied by a promise. And now it's time to leave the boat on the shore and set out on a new adventure with him. Father, thank you this morning for crucial encounters. Thank you for this encounter that Peter had with Jesus that changed his life. If there's a need this morning, a need for anyone here in the church to just listen and be open and ready to accept the challenge the call, whatever it might be, to move on. Please, Lord, give a sense of understanding that inadequacy isn't a disqualification, that you will always accompany your challenge with promises. And Lord, if necessary, I pray that there might be some boats left on the shore this morning, left on the side, so that we can be free to be the people you want us to be and to do the things you're calling us to do. And we'll discover what a great adventure it is. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.